Good evening, and welcome to the Braille Institute Telephone Lecture Series, where we talk about visual conditions of children, and this particular event is dedicated to the parents of children with low vision, as well as their teachers. So the purpose of tonight's phone call is to talk to parents and teachers and others who work with children with cortical vision impairment. And one of the things that is just so fascinating is that the number of children with cortical vision impairment, it continues to increase year after year after year. And as a result, the work that parents and the work of teachers, it becomes even more and more important because we know, we now know that by performing activities, we can actually stimulate the development of vision. In other words, by doing these types of exercises and games with the young children, it could help them to even get more and more vision, which is going to help them for the rest of their life. So the first thing is, let's talk about what is cortical vision impairment. Well, actually... Cortical vision impairment is only one of three different types of conditions where the cause of the vision problem is not because of a problem with the eye, but it's a problem with the visual center of the brain. And if you are to just put your hand on the back of your head, you could feel a bump in the very back of your head. And that whole region that's about the size of your hand, that is called the occipital lobe of the brain. And the occipital lobe of the brain is the part of the brain that receives all the information from the eyes and it interprets what we see. So in other words, when a person is looking at something, maybe they're looking at a cute little puppy, and when they look at that puppy dog, the eyes focus on the dog, and the image sends electrical signals to the occipital lobe of the brain in the back of the head. And that is where we are able to see the colors, we could see the texture, does it have rough fur or smooth fur, we could see the size of the dog, we could tell if the dog is moving, we could see the teeth of the dog, so we could determine if that dog is angry or if that dog is just happy. And with all of this type of information, we could then respond to that dog. So if the dog looks like she is a friendly dog and she's happy, 
like a little puppy dog. The occipital lobe of the brain sends signals to other parts of the brain, and it tells the muscles of our body, hey, go ahead and run up to the dog and pick it up. This dog looks like a friendly dog. And then the occipital lobe of the brain sends signals to another part of your brain. And that tells you to talk to the dog and make noises and maybe even to bark like a puppy to that dog. So overall, what happens is that the visual parts of the brain send signals to different areas of the brain and that is really how we react and we respond to different objects that we see in our surroundings. And it is very amazing because all of this type of function, it happens so quickly, less than one second, we could see something and then we react to it or we're chasing it and we're talking to it. And we've done all of that in less than one second. So this tells us that the visual center, the visual response, is one of the most important types of responses because it also tells the other parts of the brain what to do. Another thing that's very, very important about vision is that vision is the dominant sense. If we look at the sizes of the visual regions of the brain, we could see that vision plays a very dominant role. The human being relies on vision. In other words, the part of our brain that is responsible for vision is much bigger than other parts of the brain. And this is how we're able to rely on our vision. There's so many times you could simply look at something and you know so much about it. You could look at that dog and you could immediately tell if this dog is uh, angry, a mean dog, and the dog might bite you. Or you could tell if that dog is just a friendly little dog. Or just by looking immediately, you could tell if this dog is sick and this dog doesn't feel well. And with every object, every moment that your baby is looking at something... The brain remembers all of these things. And this is called the visual memory. The visual memory of the brain is very, very powerful. And the child could learn by looking at these things. And what this enables a child to do is that the next time that a child sees that same dog, that child will recognize, oh, that's a little puppy that I played with before. That's a nice dog. I'm going to go and pet it. 
And children will then learn to recognize the faces of mom and dad. And they will then learn the difference between mom and dad. When that newborn baby is hungry, that baby's going to want mom. Baby's not going to want dad because the baby wants to be fed. That child will develop the visual memory to recognize his brothers and his sisters and his aunts and uncles. And as a child gets older, the child learns to visually recognize his or her favorite toys, his or her favorite videos, video games. And as the child grows older and throughout the rest of life, that child will use vision for learning. That's how this child is going to learn to recognize the alphabet and later learn how to read words and later learn how to comprehend everything in a book and later learn how to recognize numbers and perform mathematics with those numbers. In other words, we may not realize it, but everything that we do in life, it does involve vision. Now let's talk about vision for a moment. So one of the things that we want to understand is how does vision develop? How does vision develop? And the scientists have really been able to use high-level technology, and we now know so much about vision. First of all, vision involves the eyes and the occipital lobe of the brain, in the back of the brain like I told you about. And when a child is born right at birth, a child's vision is actually very, very, very poor. You know, the newborn child can only focus clearly at about a distance of 8 to 16 inches away. So in most babies that are born, if you are farther away than 8 to 16 inches, the child will not even be able to see you. They won't even know who you are because they could only focus at that specific distance. Number two, a newborn child is not able to see colors. Everything that they see is in black and white. Number three, a newborn child is not able to move the eyes normally. 
So if you're carrying your newborn baby and then you move your head, or maybe you move your arm or you position the baby towards the opposite shoulder instead, that newborn baby cannot even move his or her eyes to refocus on your face. That baby is going to have to try to turn the entire head to be able to see your face again. And we also know that these newborn babies, they do not have clear vision at all. In fact, the way that we measure vision, we often will say, okay, this child has 2,200 vision. And you might say, wow, that sounds really terrible. But to a newborn child, all newborn children have this level of very blurred vision. And it isn't until time, time passes, and vision stimulation, as children look at mommy's face more often, looks at daddy's face, looks at toys, looks at the TV, looks at pictures on the wall. As that child looks at more and more things, the images stimulate the occipital lobe of the brain. Every time that child is looking at something, it sends signals to the occipital lobe of the brain. And as there are more signals reaching the occipital lobe of the brain, it creates a connection. And this connection is called a synapse. And as a child looks at more and more and more different things, there are more and more synapses developing in the brain. And before long, the entire occipital lobe of the brain has more and more nerves. And these nerves, they go and they connect with a different part of the brain. And they connect with other nerves. And before long, this occipital lobe of the brain is like a very, very high processing power computer. All of these electrical circuits and connections. And so it is very, very, very important that we stimulate a child's brain in order for their vision to develop. And it isn't until close to the time that the child is close to two years of age that they begin to have some pretty sharp vision. And they're able to see most colors. 
Now, another thing that's very, very important, parents always ask this question, how long, how much time do we have to try to stimulate my child's vision? Is it only the first two years? Or is it longer than that? And the answer is that it is longer than that. We now know that if we continue to present stimulation to these children for the first seven years of life, it will still develop more connections in the brain which could develop more and more vision. So in other words, if you are a teacher or you're a parent and you are constantly providing your child with visually stimulating toys or your home may be very visually stimulating, then it is going to develop higher levels of vision for your child. So what do we mean about visual stimulating toys or a visually stimulating home? What do we really need? Well, the first thing is that, number one, we have to have very good lighting. If your home is very dark... If it's dark like a cave, for example, your child is not going to develop very, very good vision. It's too dark. That child will not receive stimulation. So at home, you want to try to open up the drapes and the vertical blinds. Let the natural sunlight in your home so that your child is able to see more. Take your child outside during the day so that your child gets, you know, 10 minutes of exposure to the sun so that you could walk with your child and let your child see the grass See the flowers in your yard. Look at the trees. Look at the cars that are parked next door. Look at the outside of the house. Let your child see anything because all of these things will stimulate the occipital lobe of the brain where vision occurs. Number two, besides the light, We want to use contrast. Let's try to show your child toys and other objects that have good contrast. If you pick up a newspaper and you show your child the headlines on a newspaper, that's fantastic because the black ink against the white background is very, very high contrast. 
it stimulates the brain very, very nicely. If you're looking at some of the toys for children, let's say that you see a beach ball. And the beach balls have red and white and blue and green. They have those primary colors. Oh, those are fantastic because against each other on the beach ball, they create a very high amount of contrast. If you give your child a little clown, maybe you have a stuffed animal clown. Well, when you look at the colors on the clown, usually they're going to be of high contrast. It might be red and white and blue. The eyes are black and the face is white and the lips are red. So we get this kind of very high contrast. And that stimulates the brain. Now, if we show your child toys or other objects that do not have high contrast, then it does not stimulate the brain very much. What if we went to your house and we look at your house and it's kind of dark in there and the carpet, it's a brown carpet and the baby's playing on the ground on the carpet. And the toys that the baby is looking for on the carpet are brown toys. This child sees a brown paper bag on the brown carpet. The child could barely see it. There's no contrast. And when he does look at it, it doesn't stimulate the occipital lobe of the brain. So this is where we have to have good lighting in your home and we have to have good contrast and we could use colors. Go ahead and use a lot of black and white, but use primary colors, the red and the blue and the green. Those basic colors work the best. So when you're thinking, you're going grocery shopping, oh my God, we need some napkins. Well, when you buy napkins, look for napkins that are just primary colors. If you're looking for plates, you could go to the 99 cent store and you could buy plates that have these primary colors. Some of these plates will even be patterned. I've seen some great bowls and cups and plates that were checkerboard, red and white. Others were blue and white. But those are great because if you're feeding your two-year-old some food, 
and you put it on that particular type of checkerboard plate, it'll be very stimulating. When your child's looking at that slab of mashed potatoes, it'll be stimulating if it's on that red and white plate. But if we only have a white plate and we have white mashed potatoes on there, child may not even see it, and it will not stimulate the development of vision. Number four, this is very, very important to keep in mind. You want to find toys that are moving or that have parts that move. And the reason that it's important to have toys that are moving is because when an object is moving, it stimulates the brain in a different way. And children who have cortical blindness, cortical vision impairment, delayed visual maturation, I'll talk about all of these three conditions in just a moment, But the kids who have these issues are able to see toys that are moving better than toys that are not moving. So it's good. You could buy your kids pom-poms and shake those pom-poms around. Kids often will then really look at these pom-poms. We like to use black and white, and you may have seen some of the teachers and the consultants. They make a black and white striped drum, and you could spin this drum around, and the kids love to look at it. It's called an OKN drum, but it's very simple to make. You could buy a container, those cylinders of oatmeal, and get some wrapping paper that's black and white stripes. Just put it around that container. And then we, we say use a rolling pin that you normally would use as you're making bread. Stick it inside, and now you have a handle where you could then spin that container and it's a very visually stimulating toy. To make it even more fun, you could put different types of bells inside that container. So as it's rolling, child will hear those bells and that will stimulate another part of the brain where hearing develops. So you could look for all sorts of toys, and you could make your own toys by looking for anything that's going to have this kind of high contrast and primary colors, and you could move it. You could move it around, and that will be very, very good. Now, what about your child's room? Is there a way that you would 
decorated for children? And yes, we want to go ahead and use these same principles. You could decorate it with black and white or use the red, white, and blue primary colors. And when you put wall decorations on, put the wall decorations closer to the level of your child's eyes while your child's in his or her bed or crib. Sometimes you look in these catalogs and they put all of these decorations at the top of the wall near the ceiling. Well, that's actually not very effective because children can't see that far away yet. It takes time for them to be able to focus that far away. So again, we want to put these decorations near the level of their eyes, 8 to 16 inches away from their eyes so they are able to see it easier. You could also do some very easy and affordable things. For example, you could paint the door jams. And if you paint the door jam red or blue, it makes it very high contrast, very colorful. But it helps your child to know where the door is. You could also see what types of things do you have. You'll be surprised to see what things around the house are very colorful or high contrast. I remember when my kids were young, we would always feed them cereal. So I started just to cut the box. And we had Tony the Tiger on the wall. And when you have all of these different characters from the cereal boxes on the wall, it looks sort of designer. Everybody said, well, where did you buy those at? I said, just got it from the cereal box. You could look at wrapping paper. People who are going to buy your newborn child a gift or something, save that wrapping paper. You could cut them out, and you could post some of these prints on the wall to make the room look so visually stimulating. When you're looking for blankets or pillowcases, Remember to get pillowcases that are of high contrast and high color. Sometimes you'll find the black and white checkerboard patterns. Maybe it's polka dots. Those are all very good because every different shape that you show your child stimulates a different part of the brain for vision. So basically what I'm saying is that 
when it comes to decorating your child's room, you could take all the leftovers from all of your friends and relatives and you could make it look so nice in your child's room. You don't have to go out and buy special carpeting and special wallpaper and special beds. or You don't need to do any of that. You could use what you have decorated and it is going to stimulate the development of your child's vision. Now, how do I know? How do I know that this type of vision stimulation really works? Well, like with anything that we report in medicine, there has to be research. And in the 1960s, there was research on children. What they did is they took perfectly healthy children and one group, they actually blindfolded these kids. That these babies, they could not see anything because they were blindfolded. And in another group of kids, same age, they provided the vision stimulation. They decorated the room, everything around was high contrast and colorful. And six weeks later, they then measured the vision of both groups of kids. Every child had his or her vision measured. And what they found out was that those kids who received the vision stimulation had much higher development of vision. And the kids who were blindfolded, when they unblindfolded them, they were blind. They were actually blind. There was nothing wrong with their eyes. But it was because the brain didn't receive any stimulation that the brain did not know what to do with what it saw at that point. And we even know today as doctors, if a child was born with perfectly healthy eyes and we blindfolded that child for the first seven years of life, if we then unblindfolded that child at seven years of age, that child would be blind. And if we then try to perform vision stimulation at the age of seven, we find that it does not work nearly as good as when we stimulate the infant's vision early on at the age of weeks old. So what we're saying is by stimulating the vision early in life, it has the best responses in developing more vision. So today, we have so much information that one of the things that we as eye doctors have done is that we have categorized, we have categorized 
children who have vision loss because of abnormal development of the brain, these kids have a diagnosis of neurological vision impairment. Neurological vision impairment. And neurology relates to the nerves and the cells of the brain. So neurological vision impairment means that the visual center of this child's brain is not working properly. And this is why this child is not seen properly. These kids do not need eye surgery. There's nothing wrong with their eyes. It's neurological. It's the brain. These kids don't need medications for the eyes because the problem is within the brain. Now, within neurological vision impairment, we now have three diagnoses. One diagnosis is called cortical blindness. Cortical blindness. And years ago, a lot of eye doctors would diagnose any child who had problems with the visual part of the brain as having cortical blindness. And today we say that was really a mistake to use the term cortical blindness because not all children who have these differences in the brain are totally blind. The majority of children who have these differences in the vision part of the brain, they have vision. They have vision. So, they then came up with a new term, and this term number two is called delayed visual maturation. Delayed visual maturation. And what this means is that their vision is delayed. It's going to take longer for their vision to mature and develop. Kids with delayed visual maturation, it may take them five years to develop vision, four years to develop vision. But it's important to understand that their vision can be developed. Now, the reason it's so important to understand the differences in these two diagnoses 
cortical blindness and delayed visual maturation is that the child with cortical blindness is totally blind. They don't see anything. And the stimulation program will not improve their vision. On the other hand, if a child has been diagnosed by the doctor as having delayed visual maturation, the teachers and the parents will then understand, oh, my child's vision is delayed. It's going to come later. So we need to do the vision stimulation right away. But if you diagnose a child with cortical blindness, a lot of teachers and parents will say, we don't need to do any vision stimulation because these kids are blind. It won't improve. And then the third diagnosis is called cortical vision impairment. And for these children, this is the most common diagnosis. This is the most common diagnosis of neurological vision impairment. Number two, these kids all have vision. Number three, they all need to have vision stimulation. Number four, very often they will not look at objects unless the object is moving. Isn't that interesting? You could show them a picture book with really beautiful pictures. They won't even look at it. Mama could come up to pick up the baby. Her face is right in front of the child. And that child will not even look at Mama's face. But then when Mom starts to giggle and she's smiling and she's shaking her head, the child loves the motion of Mom's face. And that kind of motion activates the child to use his or her vision. So we know that these kids with cortical vision impairment, my gosh, we got to have toys that move. Or we got to move daily objects. Anything that we have around, if we're showing it to the child, let's move it. Let's shake it. And the kids will look at it. Also, another thing about kids with cortical vision impairment, they often like to look at the combination of red and white. Red and white patterns. Black and white, red and white. 
those are really good patterns to activate the use of their vision. And as we said again, these children with cortical vision impairment will do vision stimulation activities all the way up through the age of 10, maybe 12. And we could measure how their vision improves. Because vision is something that develops. So for all of you parents out there, what I recommend, number one, okay? Number one, I hope that all of you have a vision specialist, a vision teacher, a teacher for the visually impaired who is there to work with your child. And most importantly, you want that person to know how to teach you how to do these activities. You see, you're there with your child all day and all night. That teacher might be with your child for one hour a week. Or maybe only one hour every two weeks. So if you learn how to do these exercises to stimulate vision, that means your child is getting stimulation all the time. And if your child is receiving vision stimulation all the time, there's a much faster rate of progress as compared to if your child only receives vision stimulation for one hour every two weeks. Number two, you want your child to be evaluated by a pediatric neuro-ophthalmologist. These are eye doctors that specialize in the brain. We need to look and see, is there another medical condition that's affecting the brain? For example, maybe one of the blood vessels isn't providing blood properly to the visual regions of the brain. Maybe there's a tumor in the brain that's affecting this. We need to know what is the medical situation so that if there is a medical condition that could be treated, we want them to treat it or to perform surgery. And then also, your child needs to have a low-vision optometrist. And the low-vision optometrist is the doctor who is able to measure every aspect of your child's vision. How far away can your child see? How close can your child see? What colors does your child see? Does your child need glasses? 
is the alignment of your child's eyes straight or is your child seeing double vision? The low vision optometrist will measure all of these different visual functions and this will allow us to track what kind of progress that your child is making. The low vision optometrist will also give you specific activities to perform and talk with your child's teacher with the vision impaired so they know what activities to perform. And I also recommend, if it is at all possible, I recommend that the parents and the family, they need to have access with a psychologist. These psychologists are very, very important because the stress that mothers and fathers and grandparents go through when they have a child and the child has a vision problem, it's very stressful. And sometimes the stress of having a child that doesn't see well it literally could break up marriages. I have seen it. Maybe dad comes home from work. He just goes and sits down, watches the Laker game. He doesn't even go and play or carry his or her child. These parents sometimes will avoid the child who has low vision. Or I've seen other situations. Father comes home from work, goes and plays with the kid a little bit, and he says to the wife, Hey, honey, you know what? He's not seeing any better. I'm showing him this ball. He's not looking at it. What have you been doing all day? What have you been doing all day at home? Have you been working with him? Oh, that's terrible. When one spouse accuses the other spouse of not doing a good job, they feel it is the other spouse's job to make the child's vision get better. So by having a psychologist who can guide the parents, help them to understand, it is very, very, very important. So at this time, I'm going to ask you, if you have any questions, let's go ahead and uh, press star six. And you could announce your name and any questions you have. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Christian, Dr. Diane Christian. I know she's on the call. I am. Hi. You want to uh, give any words of wisdom here on the end of the importance of 
psychological counseling for the parents as well as the other siblings? Well, absolutely. You know, um, counseling is always a, a great option. Um, agencies like the Braille Institute, our partners for pediatric vision, who can provide that emotional support and help families as well. But um, I think it's a very good thing to to touch on having the to address the mental health of the entire family and the siblings and how to interact with the, the siblings and not maybe favoring one over the other and um, just making the family as a whole healthy. I think that's a really good suggestion, a very oh. good suggestion. Yeah. And the other thing I want to, and the other thing I want to mention is, and um, when your last comment, Dr. Bill was, you know, the maybe the the dad was saying that, you know, they didn't think that the baby's vision was improving. And one thing I have learned by working with you. It does take time, and depending on the condition of the child and where they are developmentally, it may not happen overnight. It may not happen in a week or two, and you just have to be persistent at stimulating the um, the vision, especially of those young adult or those young kids, as much as possible, and just be patient. Yes, that's right. Because sometimes it because it sometimes it just doesn't happen very quickly. And the changes are very gradual. But if you if you keep up with it, usually over time you'll see those changes. So just give your child a little bit. Yeah, many and, times it's um, the can first step. Can I make step. a suggestion as well, Dr. Bill? Yes, this hi, Karen. Karen Nutt. Hi. Also, especially during this time, during the pandemic, I know fathers <laughs> are at home. And although I know we are doing... Um, virtual home visits um, through uh, different platforms such as FaceTime and Zoom. And if fathers are home, this is a good time to, you know, engage fathers as well into um, the child's therapy process and what we are doing, um, you know, with developmental activities. Um, I know that I've had a few fathers um, come on FaceTime, and, you know, they're starting to listen to um, our conversations, and they're going, oh, you know, I did that, but I didn't know that I was actually helping him, you know, oh, and so, really? <laughs> and, think, and thankfully, they are doing things, but they don't realize that what they're doing is actually being very helpful to that child and his developmental um, activities and, and processes, so, I think this is a good time um, to bring in, you know, family members while we're at home. And um, I I have seen a lot of fathers start becoming more engaged now. So I think that's been very helpful as well. And I agree, Diane and uh, Dr. Bill, that um, reaching out and, um, you know, when you are struggling, Reaching out to a you know a counselor is really important for a family. Gosh, thank you very much. And you know, Karen, if we look at the audience tonight, we have a very large audience. So we're very very pleased. There is not one yes, male. Yes, I think this is great. There's not a single male on this call other than uh, Dick Burden, our engineer, and myself. 
I don't believe hmm. that any fathers of the kids are on this call. Usually we have a father come on. Um, perhaps maybe he's not able to be on tonight, but he usually joins us, so um, I'm surprised he's not on tonight. Hey, so we want to let all of you know that this is going to be recorded, and it's going to be on the Braille Institute website. So you'll be able to share this with other families or others who are not able to make it tonight. But does anybody have any questions for uh, myself or Karen or Diane? Does anybody have any comments? Um, Just to keep on going with what you guys are already saying, the more information that the people who are directly working with the child or living with the child can understand um, things that will improve the child's vision, um, you know, share this information with grandmas and aunts and uncles. And yeah. a lot of times when I'm at um, eye exams with, like, Dr. Bill, we have different people in the exam room besides just mom. We have mom, mm-hmm. dad, grandma, aunt, and uncle. So anyone who's really relevant to the person or to the care of the child, if they can be part of the interventions with, like, the Braille um, Institute, you know, child development team, or go to the eye doctors, then they know how to go ahead and interact with the child as well besides just mom. So if everyone is contributing to helping the child develop their vision, the better off the child's going to be. So the more, the merrier. Oh, that's very good. And I also want to let all of you know just a little bit of an update. I did hear from the university and the College of Optometry and they're hoping that by July, by July, we will begin seeing children with low vision again. They're hoping to begin to open the clinics in June for emergency visits of adults and such. But they're thinking it won't be until July that we'll be doing low vision evaluations. So... On one end, I'm a little disappointed with that, but in the interest of really keeping everybody as safe as possible, uh, they're really wanting to make certain that the virus is in control the best that it can be. So, Karen, do you have any last uh, comments that you'd like to make? No, I just want to say thank you to everyone for being on the call tonight. And... um, We will, again, have another call on the second Tuesday of June at 7 p.m. Okay, great. All right, well, uh, Mr. Burden, I want to thank you for the recording, and for each and every one of you out there, thank you very much for attending.